0: Good evening, and welcome to NTD News. I'm Don Ma in for Stefania. Here are today's top stories. The Supreme Court makes a big decision on Title 42. The ruling comes as tens of thousands of migrants are reportedly waiting on the Mexico side of the border. Dozens of countries could lose access to Russian oil early next year. The Kremlin today announcing a ban on exports to nations that abide by the G7's price cap. Thousands of U.S. flights canceled the vast majority from Southwest Airlines. The U.S. government saying it's probing the airline over the number of cancellations. I do have a ticket and I hope to come to work at some point in my life. The longest sentencing so far in the plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Prosecutors wanted him behind bars for life. Why, the judge disagreed? Are Marx's ideas from universities harming American society? A UCLA professor once skeptical of the idea now says this is actually happening. The Supreme Court made a major decision today regarding Title 42. That's the policy that allows U.S. officials to turn away illegal immigrants to prevent the spread of COVID-19. In a 5-4 ruling, the Supreme Court extended Title 42 until February, That's when the case will be argued and a final decision will be made. This ruling comes as tens of thousands of migrants are reportedly waiting on the Mexico side of the border. Russia says it's banning oil exports to various countries, including the entire European Union. That's after those nations imposed a price cap on Russian crude oil. Today, Russia announced it would ban the export of oil to countries that imposed a $60 per barrel cap on Russian oil. Those countries are all European Union members, all G7 members, and Australia. The U.S. is a member of G7 but had already banned all Russian oil and gas imports in March. The price cap took effect on December 5th. Exports from Russia to those countries will still be allowed in certain cases if Putin gives special permission. The ban is scheduled to start on February 1st and last through July 1st. The Biden administration is investigating Southwest Airlines over what they call an unacceptable rate of cancellations. The airline canceled thousands of flights again today, a pattern that's expected to continue for the next several days. NTD's Melina Weiskopf has more updates.
1: Air travel today, not much better for Southwest flyers. 60% of all flights canceled before the day even began. And it's just the start. Southwest saying they'll operate at just over a third of their usual schedule in the days ahead.
2: If my boss is watching this. Yes, it's true. I didn't just blow off the day. I'm actually standing in the airport doing nothing and um, I do have a ticket and I hope to come to work at some point in my life.
1: Of the roughly 2,900 flight cancellations in the U.S. early Tuesday, more than 2,500 were called off by Southwest. That makes up around 87 percent of all U.S. flights canceled. And now that it's become clear that Southwest's disruptions are disproportionate when compared with other airlines, the Department of Transportation now says they're investigating, writing in a tweet that they're concerned with what they call Southwest's unacceptable rate of cancellations, delays, and long customer wait times. The department says they're actually looking at Southwest's customer service plan to make sure the company is complying with that plan and to determine whether or not these disruptions were controlled. Controllable. Now, Southwest says that this disruption, these disruptions, were caused by consecutive days of extreme weather. But some within their own company are saying that this is a different issue. The vice president of the Southwest Airlines Pilot Association, for example, saying this is the largest disruption that he's seen in 16 years. But he says this issue isn't new.
3: Uh, We've been timing this for years. Uh, We have a
4: meltdown like once a year for the past five or six years. Uh, The storm that hit uh, last week was was the catalyst to this, but what went wrong is that our IT infrastructure for our scheduling software is uh, vastly outdated. It can't handle the number of pilots, flight attendants
0: that we have in the system uh, with our complex route network.
1: The airline says disruptions could continue up until the new year travel period at the end of this week. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskopf, NTD News.
0: President Biden has approved an emergency declaration for the state of New York. The recent winter storm killed more than two dozen people in the state's west. Officials in Buffalo, New York, said at least 28 people died in one of the worst storms ever to hit the area. While officials are now focused on restoring power, plowing roads and checking for anyone still stranded. They say they expect more residents will be found dead. Biden's authorization will allow federal resources, including those from the Federal Emergency Management Agency, to supplement local response efforts. And some people are looting stores in Buffalo, New York. Video footage shows incidents of theft and the aftermath.
2: A deadly winter storm in Buffalo, New York, kept many locked in their homes as conditions outside were considered life-threatening. However, officials say some used the situation to break into local stores. In this video posted on social media, you can see what appears to be an almost totally ransacked 7-Eleven. Items were spread all over the floor, while most shelves were empty, presumably stolen. In this video, you can hear a car with sirens arriving at a supermarket. Nevertheless, there are people calmly walking out of the store with filled trash bags and other items which they're believed to have stolen from the store. Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown on Monday condemned the people stealing from stores during a deadly storm which killed dozens.
0: It's just absolutely reprehensible. Uh, I don't know how these people can even live with themselves, how they can look at themselves in the mirror. They are the lowest of, of the low.
2: The mayor says it appears the people didn't actually need the items they stole.
0: They're not looting foods and medicines. They're just looting items that they want. So these aren't even people in distress. These are people that are taking advantage of a natural disaster and the suffering of many in our community.
2: The city's police commissioner says they've made a few arrests and intervened in some of the looting. Buffalo's blizzard is deemed the area's worst in 45 years. It took form late on Friday and pummeled western New York through the Christmas holiday weekend. It capped an arctic freeze and winter storm front that had extended over most of the United States for days, stretching as far south as the Mexican border. Around 60 passed away nationwide because of the harsh conditions.
0: One of the men involved in the plan to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer was sentenced to 16 years behind bars today. It's the longest sentence of anyone convicted in the plot so far. Prosecutors sought life behind bars for Adam Fox, co-leader of the plot, to kidnap the governor. They argued that the plot wouldn't have taken place without him. The judge said that the purpose of a long sentence is to punish Fox and prevent future similar acts, and that life in prison isn't necessary. To achieve that... Fox won't have to repeat the two years he's already spent in custody since his arrest, but he does have to serve five years of supervised release after prison. Marxist ideas from universities spilling into the workforce. Decades ago, a UCLA professor said this wouldn't happen and even wrote a book to defend his standpoint. Now he says he was wrong.
5: In the 80s, some conservatives said they were worried that teaching leftist ideology at universities would negatively affect American society. In response to that, Russell Jacoby, now professor emeritus of history at UCLA, wrote a book. He argued that those ideologies wouldn't leave the campus and affect regular society. Now, decades later, Jacobi says, Only now do I see I got something wrong. He says it's something his critics overlooked as well, about the increasing number of students pursuing academic fields. He outlines his new position in an article for The Tablet, which was published last week. In the 80s, he argued that students taking liberal courses such as gender studies, Marxist cinema theory, and more, would get careers within academia after graduating. However, Jacoby says, as the number of students taking those courses increased, they could no longer hope for university careers. What became of them? No single answer is possible. They joined the workforce. Most often they landed jobs as writers and researchers with liberal government agencies, foundations, or NGOs. In all these capacities, they brought along the sensibilities and jargon they learned on campus. Jacoby gave this example. When the ACLU drops any mention of the First Amendment from its annual reports, when one of its directors declares First Amendment protections are disproportionately enjoyed by people of power and privilege, we know they studied critical race theory. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News.
0: A probe by the Daily Mail has allegedly revealed nearly 400 pedophile dens in California. These dens are said to be housing multiple convicted pedophiles. Under state law, these dens could be illegal.
3: The Daily Mail has discovered nearly 2,000 convicted pedophiles in California. These individuals are allegedly living together in groups of three or more at 442 locations across the state. Some of these, quote, pedophile dens are reportedly in close proximity to schools. Former Deputy District Attorney Sam Dordulian told the Daily Mail that the numbers are terrifying. He says, quote, Even if they're trying to stay clean, they're in an environment where they are around other pedophiles. They're going to be talking about children, having child porn available, and it's just creating a situation where you're almost sure there is going to be another offense. The Daily Mail analyzed data from the Megan's Law Database of Registered Sex Offenders in California and found 58,685 sex offenders. 73% or 43,007 of those offenders have been convicted of sex crimes involving children. A spokeswoman for the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation told the Daily Mail that the law states, All registered sex offender parolees shall not reside in a single family dwelling with any other sex offender, whether or not they are on parole, unless they are related by blood, marriage, or adoption. However, the Daily Mail interviewed multiple homeowners at homes where up to six pedophiles were allegedly residing and sharing a room together. The California Department of Justice, which administers the Megan's Law Database, had previously told the Daily Mail that they know about these so-called pedophile dens. In a statement last month, the department said that it was the district attorney's, courts, and state legislators' issue to deal with. But he added that the department has, quote, human trafficking and sexual predator apprehension teams, which work regularly with the local authorities, to protect the public safety, advances
0: in data storage and video technology have led to an increase in child pornography. Now, a global network of investigators is racing to stop it. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on their efforts.
4: The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children is a nonprofit based in Alexandria, Virginia. One of the organization's missions is to track online child pornography.
2: Two things happen. One. We're producing an analytical report for law enforcement that show out of those 10,000, 100,000, a million files that they submitted, how many of those depict children who have already been identified? And who's the law enforcement officer that identified that child? Who can prove in court that it is, in fact, a real child victim?
4: In 2016, NCMEC was part of a global effort to find a girl in a video discovered by a New Zealand customs agent. The footage showed U.S. Border Patrol employee Paul Adams raping his then 10-year-old daughter.
5: We could see both their faces for a start, so there's some really good imagery of both of their faces, and they were talking throughout it as well.
4: Six years before the video surfaced in Auckland, Adams confessed to his Mormon bishop that he abused his daughter. A prominent church lawyer told the bishop to keep the abuse secret. As a result, the child was brutalized for seven more years. Today, the video and others still circulate on the internet.
5: They're living with that for the rest of their lives. It's on the internet, it's not going anywhere. And they have to wake up every morning, you know, knowing that there's imagery of those terrible times in their lives still out there that that people are accessing for their own gratification and they don't care anything about them.
4: Computer analysts at NCMEC determined that the nine-minute video was made in 2015. They also isolated several images of Adams' face and sent them to Homeland Security Investigations.
6: Everything HSI does has to have a nexus to the border, so how are we working domestic child exploitation cases? Well, because of the Internet. every image. If I send a picture to you right now, it's going to cross the border.
4: Approximately six weeks after the video was discovered in New Zealand, Homeland Security agents arrested Adams. Adams died by suicide in custody while awaiting his trial. Data from NCMEC shows that the original video was viewed about 100 times in 2017. That figure soared to more than 4,500 in 2021. Since 2016, U.S. law enforcement agencies have seized copies of it hundreds of times. Nearly 800 people were arrested in 2021 with the video in their possession. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: We're taking a short break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. Coming up, two of China's most renowned universities are seeing professors die at a mysterious rate. Meanwhile, a medical expert at the Chinese CDC predicts future COVID waves. And in the NFL, one of the greatest ever announces his retirement after a dozen years in the league. NTD's Dave Martin has the details. That and more when we return on NTD News. Two of China's most renowned universities. Professors are dying in unusual numbers. Both of the schools are closely related to the Chinese Communist Party. NTD's Tiffany Meyer brings us this report. She also brings a prediction from the chief epidemiologist at the Chinese CDC.
6: Two of China's most renowned universities are suffering an unusually big loss. Their teachers and professors are passing away. One of the universities is considered the birthplace of the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP. The other one is known for its high-profile alumni, including the current and former CCP leaders. Twelve professors from Beijing University died this month. That's according to notices put out by the school. Three of the university's retired professors passed away on December 22nd alone. According to its website, the university maintains strong links to the Chinese Communist Party. The first group of communists and Marxists in China were educated there. The second school is called Tsinghua University. The death toll for its retired professors totaled 87 in just the last four months of this year, double the figure from the same period last year. This university also holds an important place in the CCP's recent history. Most of China's top leaders over the past decades are alumni, including current Chinese leader Xi Jinping and former leader Hu Jintao. The CCP leader before Hu Jintao did not attend the school, but his prime minister did. It's unclear if the deceased persons tested positive for COVID-19 or if they were even tested for the virus at the time of the death. Most of the death notices list illness as cause of death without any specifics. One notice listed a, quote, heavy cold as the cause. The deceased person was the designer of the 2008 Beijing Paralympic mascot. One peak and three waves. This is the prediction from Wu Chunyong, chief epidemiologist at the Chinese Center for Disease Control and Prevention, about the current COVID-19 outbreak in China. Who said the first wave would span from mid-December 2022 to mid-January 2023, mainly in cities. The second wave will strike from late January to mid-February 2023, China's top travel season surrounding the Lunar New Year holiday. The third wave is expected from late February to mid-March, when people return to work after the New Year holiday. The peak outbreak is predicted to span three months in total. Earlier this year, Wu also advised Chinese citizens on how to avoid monkeypox. One of his recommendations, having no contact with foreigners. Chinese authorities had already announced the first case of monkeypox in China before he gave the warning. The initial infection case was said to have originated outside China due to the Chinese regime's history of underreporting and covering up health data, it's unclear if that case was actually the first discovered in the country.
0: And is the Omicron variant to blame for the virus surge that's wrecking havoc in China? Or is there another sub-variant spreading alongside it? Some patients are showing symptoms that don't usually appear when infected with Omicron, but that did show up widely in Wuhan when the pandemic first broke out. Here are the details.
5: Reports from Chinese hospitals are raising an unexpected concern. The lungs of some COVID-19 patients are appearing white on CT scans, indicating lung infection. But Omicron is widely known not to attack the lungs, which makes it less dangerous than other variants. In the past few days, people have flocked to Chinese social media Weibo with similar reports that some of those infected with COVID-19 were also diagnosed with severe pneumonia. CT scans show parts of their lungs turned white. The appearance means the lungs are infected, posing danger to affected patients. The so-called white lung syndrome was a typical symptom found in Wuhan City at the beginning of the pandemic. Those who've shared the news online include medical staff, family members of the deceased, and patients themselves. Among those showing the symptom was the father-in-law of a well-known Chinese scholar. He died last week of COVID-19-related pneumonia. His CT scan showed one-fourth of his lungs had already turned white. And there's more. A doctor in Beijing recorded the process of how a 70-year-old patient's lungs turned white via CT scans. The patient died one day after the infection reached his lungs. Back online, a medical worker from eastern China's Jiangsu province shared a set of related photos on social media site Weibo. The pictures came from the CT scans of two white lung patients. One of them showed a high degree of fibrosis of the lungs. It was so advanced that the shape of the lungs became obscured. The medical worker wrote he's seen more white lung patients lately than since he studied medicine in college.
0: South Korea is creating a military unit specializing in drones. The president says he's speeding up the effort. He also criticizes the recent military response to a border intrusion by North Korean drones. Five North Korean drones crossed into South Korea on Monday, prompting Seoul to scramble fighter jets and attack helicopters. The military fired warning shots and some 100 rounds from a helicopter equipped with a machine gun, but failed to bring down any of the drones while they flew over several South Korean cities, including the capital, Seoul, for about five hours. The South Korean president said it shows that the military isn't prepared and called for more intense readiness and training. A senior official said the drones were too small to intercept easily. Each drone measured less than 10 feet. The military also said it couldn't aggressively attack them with civilians below. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories.
2: Thank you, Don. NFL great J.J. Watt announced his impending retirement on social media this morning. The 33-year-old has been named the league's AP Defensive Player of the Year three times and is a five-time All-Pro defensive end. Watt, now in his second year in Arizona after 10 years in Houston, tweeted out a picture of his wife and baby saying, quote, Coa's first ever NFL game, my last ever NFL home game. My heart is filled with nothing but love and gratitude. It's been an absolute honor and a pleasure. Watt was a first-round pick of the Texans in 2011 and won all three of his Defensive Player of the Year awards in a dominant four-year span from 2012 through 2015. But injuries derailed his career as he missed most of the next two seasons with various ailments. He rebounded in 2018, though, registering 16 sacks and being named an All-Pro for the fifth time. And in soccer news, the family of former Iranian soccer great Ali Day was prevented from leaving the country Monday by authorities in the Islamic Republic. Day's wife and daughter were on a plane headed for Dubai until the plane was forced to reroute back to Iran. The 53-year-old Day has been a supporter of the protests in Iran. A former captain of Iran's national soccer team, Day refused to attend the World Cup in solidarity with the protesters. According to ISNA news agency, Day wasn't aware of a travel ban on his family, saying, quote, no one has given me an answer about this. I really don't know what the reason for this is. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has 10 games planned featuring a Suns-Grizzlies matchup that pits two of the top five teams in the Western Conference. And finally, for you hockey fans, after a three-day holiday break, the NHL is back with 11 games their own between the Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche playing at the Phoenix Coyotes. And that's it for your sports news today. Back to you, Don.
0: Thank you, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Don Ma. Good night.